0: You can't build a
1: peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations to application with communication.
2: Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss contemporary issues in science and technology with a focus on biotechnology and new innovations that can help people and the planet. I'm Paul Vincelli, sitting in for Dr. Kevin Falta. Kevin, again, uh, thank you for the, all these opportunities to, to do Talking Biotech podcast. And today we're going to be talking about transgene flow in maize in Mexico, maize or corn, of course. Now, Mexico is, of course, the center of origin of corn, Mexico and northern um, Central America, and uh, in Mexico, consequently, there are um, there are a mixture of different types of corn or corn progenitors. They're, they're they're the modern hybrids like we grow in the United States, but there are also land races or heritage varieties that uh, have been uh, grown for maybe hundreds of years. And also, there is teosinte, which is a, a grass plant which was is known to be the progenitor of corn uh, selected from Teosinte about 8,000 years ago or so. Now, the concept of transgene flow is the topic we're going to talk about today. And, of course, transgenes are genes that come from outside the breeding pool of a crop and so, therefore, are uh, inserted through genetic engineering technologies. And um, before we talk about transgene flow in maize, uh, I do want to stress that um, transgenes sometimes are misunderstood. They're just genes. Um, they're, they're not self propagating like, say, for example, natural transposons or jumping genes are. They're simply genes that we move from one organism into another. And once they're there, they act like any other typical uh, Mendelian gene. They just are inherited just like any other gene. So transgenes are not jumping genes. They're not transposons. They're simply genes that, uh, that um, have been inserted into, into a particular crop. Now, today we have uh, as our guest, Dr. Sol Ortiz Garcia, who is the Technical Director for Information and Research Support of the Intersecretarial Commission for Biosafety and Genetically of Genetically Modified Organisms in the country of Mexico. So we have somebody who is very uh, knowledgeable about this this topic in a place w- where the, the the country is the center of origin for an important crop. So Sol, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you very much for your invitation.
2: It's a pleasure. So um, I should, you know, what I should have said actually in the beginning is, is that um, Sol, you are, um, you have a, uh, Degree from the National Autonomous University of Mexico, a doctorate in ecology from uh, the same inst- from the UNAM, same institution, and also have done a postdoc in Kew Gardens in the United Kingdom, and also you were, I think, a professor in the Faculty of Sciences at UNAM as well. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your academic background, and most especially your experience in in public service in in uh, in this area. You've been working in this for a long time.
3: Yes, uh, that's right. Um, Well, I still teach at UNAM. I'm still a professor, just uh, uh, one class actually is on biosafety because I think it's very important that students at the faculty on sciences are familiar with these issues. So I still uh, teach a bit there. But um, I work uh, right now at the National Council of Science and Technology. As you mentioned, at this Intersecretarial Commission on Biosafety, in short, we call it CBOHEM. I'm the uh, Executive Secretariat of this uh, commission. And I started working in the government when I first came back from my postdoc back in 2001 at the Ministry of Environment, the Secretary of Environment, we call it, in short, Semarnat. And, And... at the National Institute of Ecology. And there was when I was first involved in issues on genetically modified organisms and biosafety. Um, I had the opportunity to collaborate there doing risk assessment for environmental release of GMOs. Before the biosafety law was in place in Mexico and after the biosafety law was in place in Mexico. So we also had the opportunity to uh, collaborate with, um, with the, the academics and, and people involved doing this biosafety law. And I have been uh, also coordinating when I was at the National Institute of Ecology, a monitoring program for accidental releases of G crops in, in Mexico, particularly in Oaxaca. So now, where my main job is uh, coordinate these six secretaries of state. We, we, we have uh, this intersecretarial commission where we have the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Environment, the Ministry of Agriculture, Education, Treasury, and Economy, as as well as the National Council of Science and Technology, working together to establish uh, public policies on the safe use of GMOs in Mexico.
2: Yeah, actually, what I what I think is most uh, important about your background, as I look at it, is you you come trained uh, and and with credentials as an ecologist, and not an agronomist, and 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 not to disparage agronom- agronomists because they help feed us, but uh, but your perspective is sort of that maybe a bit of an outsider look to farming systems, and and I, and I think it's a really appropriate uh, background for the kind of work you're doing.
3: Yes, that's right. I, I came to this with a different perspective, and I think that I have learned a lot from agronomists as well, and I have been able to, you know, share the views of ecologists. And I think that that is a, a important thing about GM, uh, GMOs, and other technologies that where you involve different. Uh, uh, specialities they say or or different perspectives that you can communicate with each other
2: yeah yeah that 's huge, I agree that 's very important to be able to talk across disciplinary lines so um, so you 've had this just marvelous background, uh, much of it as a regulatory official is, is it correct to refer to you as a regulator regulator for the country of mexico
3: sure that's that 's correct, and I think uh, that um, I also had this uh, technical uh, perspective, but mostly today I'm, I'm most related with with policies, but yeah. yes, I have this uh, background.
2: Background, sure.
3: So um,
2: it, it, let me see, let me review uh, the facts as I understand them with respect to GM crops in Mexico. There are two that are approved for production in Mexico, soy and cotton, uh, but not corn. Uh, and, uh, and, and that is, I presume, to protect, maybe it's been based on protection of the the land races that are common in Mexico uh, and Teosinte from transgene flow. Is that am I close? Is it correct?
3: You are quite close um, except that uh, we have also allowed the environmental release the the cultivation of other crops right now as you say it's just uh, corn and also some alfalfa in previous year we have allowed the planting of lime uh, lemons um, tomato was the first one back in 1998 oh oh, okay the uh, flavor saver tomato Actually, the the first one was uh, insect-resistant tomato with Bt. Oh, okay. The second was oh. one was flavor saver. Wow. But yeah, that was a long time ago. But right now, uh, for environmental release, it's just uh, cotton. We have um, um, judicial prevention for planting right now uh, soybean until we do indigenous consultations. But um, we have been planting soybean since 1996 until uh 2015 was it 16.
2: So the production of soy was was during the period of 1996 to 2015?
3: 2016 to be precise sorry yes.
2: Cotton is currently grown and has been for a number of years is that G cotton is that correct?
3: Yes that's correct also from 1996 was the same the first uh Certificates for allowing the planting of GM cotton, and okay. until now it, it is our, uh, one of the um, one of the crops that have reached the stage of environmental release at commercial stage okay. so this is something that I want to mention as well that um, we have in Mexico three different stages for environmental release, what we call experimental. Uh, pilot stage which is like pre-commercial stage and commercial stage so okay. the only crop that has reached commercial stage right now is cotton previously oh. was soybean but this is this has stopped.
2: stop okay okay so cotton is allowed it is allowed for commercial release soy was allowed for commercial release in that front time frame that we've described you've described
3: and then uh, well from 2012 to now Okay. Because previous, sorry, previously to 2012, it was allowed as pre-commercial and before oh. it was experimental. And before the biosafety law, there was uh, what we call certificates for release. And so that's how the legislation has also been changed.
2: Okay. The commercial release for soy was 2012 to 2015. Is that right?
3: Yes. that's Okay.
2: Right. And then let me back up. I'm sorry, but I, I this is so fascinating. Uh, alfalfa. Lemon, lime, and Bt tomato all have history of some sort of release, but not necessarily commercial.
3: Correct? That's right, and also wheat, because and we wheat. have wheat. Wow. Yes, experimental release of wheat by the cement.
2: So these five crops are have been allowed for experimental release. That is alfalfa, lemon, lime, tomato, and wheat.
3: Yes, and on, and others that um, actually this is going to. I will take the opportunity to mention that you can uh, consult all this information in a web page of CBOHEM, okay. and you can see that all the crops that were allowed in previous years oh, okay. since 1990s until two thousand eighteen.
2: Okay. All right. Well, what I'm going to I'm doing is making a note. Um, On uh, the crops that that have been deployed in some capacity, and I will send you an email, get that website, and we'll we'll put that on the you know on the website. So yeah, wow. So I didn't realize there was so much experimental release of uh, other crops in in Mexico. So that there you go right away. I've learned something. So as is normal for talking about. (laughs) All right. Good. So go ahead. Were you about to say something?
3: I was going to go back to maize because yeah this is you know the the central crop for for mexico yeah. and before the um, we had a moratorium or a ban for uh, planting gmas from 2000 from 1998 to 2008 and before that there were some uh, releases field trials as as you, you call it and after that during 2009 and 2013 there were many applications for the release of GM maize and 195 permits were allowed of those 169 were for experimental release 26 were for the pilot stage that we call the pre-commercial state, but okay. none were for commercial state. and in 2013 there was a legal action um, that is uh, related to the Diffuse right of, uh, of having land raises, and that made the, the judge stop the, the issuing of permits for GM maize since okay. 2013 until now. Uh,
2: so, 1998 to 2008, the corn was grown, was that as a commercial crop or as a pilot?
3: No. 1998 mm-hmm. until 2008, right. there was a ban. For corn, for planting. Oh, there
2: corn. was no, no during no that planting, period. of time? No, no that
3: plant- was a moratorium, ten-year oh, okay. moratorium okay, for 10 planting years. GM corn. Okay, ten
2: years.
3: Nobody okay. planted uh, legally GM maize. Okay. And then, in 2008, the moratorium was lifting, and then in 2009, Sagarpa, uh, which is the Ministry of Agriculture, uh, um, with Senasica, which is the the um, in, within Sagarpa that issues permits, allow okay. for the release of GM maize, the planting okay. of GM maize in experimental and pilot stages.
2: Okay, okay, okay. And that was when did they uh, then Seneca do that? Senasica. Senasica.
3: Senasica S- did that from 2009 to the 2013. Okay. And let me just clarify that. Not Senasica alone, because what we have in our biosafety law is for Senasica to give a permit. This is the, the agricultural sector. For the agricultural sector to issue a permit for the environmental release of any GM crop, it needs a binding opinion from the Ministry of Environment. So these permits have a favorable opinion for the release of this uh, GM corn back on. 2009 until 2013
2: okay and then two and in 2013 there was a did i understand a court order of some sort did I
3: it's, it's not yet a court order mm-hmm. it's different from the one in, in soybean okay. is is uh from a judge it hasn't reached the courts yet
2: oh okay okay and and at that in 2013 that action by a judge uh, pro- what, what was the consequence
3: of that it Preventing the planting of GM maize until the the suit go along. Uh Is is that the correct word?
2: Yeah, the lawsuit is resolved. The lawsuit
3: go along. So, what um, the ones who promoted this action asked the judge was to stop the planting as a precautionary action until the decision is is reached.
2: And that decision has not been reached yet? No, yet. Not yet. Okay, good. So, yeah, tell us about TransTeach Flow. And by the way, for the listeners, you, I know you have a significant publication history in this area. So it's something, certainly we're talking to somebody that knows a lot about the topic in Mexico. So tell us what you know. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> which may take a few weeks, but
3: <laughs> I, I will try to be brief and and clear. Sure. Obviously, this is a long story, as you said. It, yeah. it, it started uh, almost eighteen years ago, so I will try to to reduce well in 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 the time that I was involved. So, what we knew back in two thousand and one was that there was. Uh, um a paper by David request that uh, said that there were some gm um, maize found in oaxaca and this uh, is that, on the, the paper
2: was again in 2001 did you say
3: uh, i think it was 2001
2: okay good uh so
3: okay. yeah sorry uh it's okay it, maybe 2000 no i think it was 2001 well back in those years um there was this moratorium that i was uh telling you about mm-hmm. so at the national institute of ecology we start a program to uh, monitor or or doing inspections in these uh, fields and so we we did and we reported uh, two of the years that we uh, monitor in in our paper in 2005 and at that time we didn't find um gm uh gm corn in land races. GM GM traits, right? Thank you, GM traits in land races. Mm -hmm. And I know that some other uh, groups have been uh, taking this effort as well. And in other years, some groups have reported the presence of transgenes in land races in in Oaxaca and other haven't and this is uh, an issue that has been going on along the years about if there are transgenes which are the transgenes that there are there and are they increasing their frequencies or they are not increasing frequencies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so and there was a recent uh, paper published last year where they reported some likely positive results of six samples I think from 50 a little bit more than 50 samples that they took comparing two communities indigenous communities and markets and and they also show a, a, a little bit hard or, or troubles uh, reporting the results that's why i think they put likely positive because they used three different labs and and the results among labs were not consistent and and they uh, comment these problems that we have been encounter the while we do monitor this uh is like looking for a needle in a hay is that the way to say needle it in a haystack
2: that's exactly right yeah, yeah.
3: okay so it, it is very hard to to find them and since they are in very if they are there they are in very low frequencies uh, yeah. even during the, um, the detection phase is is hard to to establish their presence. But
2: mm-hmm.
3: there has been reports where they have said that they they are they have found um, GMs and some of those reports are published. The reports that are not published are some of the work that the government has been doing for the past six years. And this is also Senasika who does the inspections. First, they were focusing a lot on inspecting hybrid uh, fields um, close by to the places where they were given the, the permits for environmental release of transgene. Okay, so
2: they're monitoring the release in the... In
3: exactly. The, in those areas. And yeah, and then they, they keep doing this uh, until last year. And what they have found with these researchers that they are working with, is not published yet, but they they have doing more than 3,500 3, uh, field samples Wow. and they have found in very few of those presence of transgenes and mm-hmm. what they do is that they return next year to see if how is it doing obviously they inform the farmer and this is unintended planting it's not uh, like a illegal plantation of just gm which has also occurred, but this is not the case for these other ones. And what they found is that they go back and usually they don't find it again. And if it comes again next year, then the next year is not there. They also find it every time very, very low mm-hmm. uh, frequencies.
2: Right, right. And so as I understand it, there's no, uh, if if anything, the, the, the um, Occurrences are typically on the on the limit of detection. In fact, I, that was my impression of that 2017 paper that you mentioned. Is you know that uh, if if these detections are 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 occur are, are valid positives, they're at the limit of detection, and so and even in those conditions, sometimes you can get um, false negatives. Think, yeah, false false positives.
3: Yes. Right. right. Well, if it's on the limit and they are there. And you don't detect it, it will be false
2: that'd be a false negative, yeah right but, uh, yeah but uh I, I, well I, maybe i'm getting deeper into this than than we should, but um what my point was simply that sometimes it, when when it's near the limit of detection, there might be a fal a positive that actually is not um you know if if they sequenced it, which they didn't do, if they sequenced that reaction they might might find it actually wasn't. Um, a, a positive reaction yes but that, that so there were th- there were some things that were missing out of that study and i'm i've interrupted you so i'll, I'll turn it back no
3: no here. you're right i was uh when i i wrote it i was thinking probably the same as you do because they were going to very high number of yeah, of,
2: of cycles
3: of cycles yes of that's PCR right and, cycles yeah. yeah and as as far as i remember when we were uh mounting this uh, detection lab going over 35 cycles you get uh, on a specific amplification exactly you know, so exactly that, that might be a problem as well yeah,
2: yeah exactly and that's With- why i think the failure to sequence the reactions that they got um that, that would have been an easy way to verify you know that yes. it was a real a real rea- a positive but uh listen you've you've got some good uh wonderful information and uh and I'm, we're going to carry on for quite a Quite a bit, but um, I think maybe now is a good time to take a short break. So we're talking to Dr. Sol Ortiz Garcia from uh, the uh, Intersecretarial Commission on Biosafety of Genetically Modified Organisms in Mexico. Uh, someone with a great deal of perspective and knowledge on this subject, and, and uh, we'll continue we'll continue this conversation about transgenes when we come back. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast.
1: Hi everybody, this is Kevin Fulta. Three years ago, I started an experiment, the Talking Biotech Podcast. Now, I had experimented with podcasting and wanted to create content, but I didn't really need a spotlight. I didn't want people to listen and tell me that, okay, you have time for that stupid podcast, but you don't have time to review that grant proposal or serve on the committee or shave the dog. So I did my first podcast, the the Vern Blazek, fire and Power Hour with Vern Blazek. And, you know, we all know that didn't turn out so hot. But this week, three years ago, I was on the Joe Rogan experience. It's hard to believe it was that long ago. I mean, Joe was super cool. And the podcast was well received. And at the end, Joe told me that I needed to start a podcast. So I ditched that modulated Vern Blazek voice and started my own series, June 12, 2015. Now, since that time, I've been joined by the outstanding Paul Vincelli and a host of other, you know, co-hosts. Uh, they're all awesome. But the real star of the show is the science and the scientists and the journalists and the ag professionals that share their stories. After three years and 130 some episodes, I'm really grateful for all the support and kindness, the 20,000 monthly downloads and the great buzz we get in social media. It seriously is the high point of my week, and, I, and I, I do the interviews and produce the episodes and see it go live, and there's nothing better on Saturday morning than to wake up and see that on the phone, that hear it, it happened, and it's magic, and we're talking about science. We're creating a durable and useful resource. It, we're sharing science. We're changing hearts and minds, and someday, we're going to look back and see how far we've come. I think we see that already. Thank you for three great years, and thank you for your wonderful support. And we're
2: back on the Talking Biotech podcast with Dr. Sol Ortiz-Garcia, the Technical Director for Information and Research Support of the Intersecretarial Commission for Biosafety of Genetically Modified Organisms in Mexico. And Sol, once again, thanks for your time and bringing your expertise to the Talking Biotech podcast.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
2: So, so, so we're into a, a very complex topic, of course. And um, so, I think the question that really is front and center for me is: so, if you look at the research that's been done and the work that's been done by government, you know, Mexico and Mexican scientists like you, has there been transgene flow in? maize in, in, in Mexico?
3: I think that that's a tough question to, to answer as you pointed because you say transgene flow. And I think it might have been very few transgene flow. What we think we are seeing at some point is seed planting from, okay. uh, you know, from GM maize that is important to Mexico because uh-huh. I, I haven't gone into that detail, but we do not allow the planting of GM maize, mm-hmm. but we do allow the importation of GM maize into our country. And this is because we, we have a, a different system for uh, approving GM crops in Mexico. For example, for uh, food feed and processing, we have authorizations from the Ministry of Health And the Ministry of Health, since 2096 until today, have approved a total of 164 events of GM crops. Not all are commercialized today. But uh, from those 164, 80 events are from maize. Different uh, GM maize events that are allowed for food feed and processing in Mexico. So we import every year um, around 12 million tons. This year was a little bit more than 12 million tons of GM maize for food feed and processing. So in that respect, um, we we can see that at some point, some of those grains could reach the environment. And we have uh, set different programs to avoid that situation and direct the 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 imported maize to processing mostly for feed but uh, there are there's the possibility that some seeds could reach the environment because at some point if farmers buy grain for eating and they decide to plant it there could be some planting of GM uh, corn but that would allow a little bit of gene flow mm-hmm. but what i think it hasn't happened is introgression which is okay. uh, the the next step yeah. because uh, introgression is when you have populations with transgenes fixing their populations and that is something that we are not seeing this far after 20 years of having GM mace around okay.
2: okay that's a very good statement so for first to back up you you say 160 genetic events have been been approved genetically engineered events and 80 of those are from maize, and 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 those approvals are required even if they're not grown and, and cultivated in mexico but they're required for the importation is that is that right
3: Yeah, that's correct. For importing and commercializing maize in Mexico, we need to have approvals by the COFEPRIS, which is the national commission against sanitary risks. Mm -hmm. And it's a branch, technical branch of the Ministry of Health, and they do the safety assessment for these uh, GM crops, and they do it according to the Codex Alimentarius and other international standards for assessing risk for food, feed, and processing of GM. Okay,
2: so a lot of that corn is U.S. corn, actually.
3: It's pretty much all of it, most of it, let's say. Mm -hmm.
2: So, but you made the distinction, as you wrapped up with those comments, um, you made an important distinction, and you said that uh, you distinguished gene flow, uh, which would occur you know, at least in maize, largely through pollen movement, versus introgression, which is where the tr- genetic trait, any genetic trait, engineered or not, is is it becomes part of the fixed into the population and part of the the population genetics. Is is that a fair summary?
3: Yes, that's perfectly a very good summary. Thank you for doing it. <laughs> so and so uh,
2: and so you have not you you have. I think you very clearly said there's been no evidence of introgression into land races, uh, in, or Teosinte in corn. Is that, is that, is that correct?
3: Yes, that's correct. Okay. That's, not, not to our knowledge. I mean, we have been and, and the senasica have been doing all this uh, research and the, the research that have been published, as we were discussing briefly ago, show that there might be presence in very low frequencies. So that doesn't mean that the transgene are, are increasing their frequency or are introgressing and in getting fixed in the genome of, of maize. And let me go a little bit further with this because I think there, there are a lot of uh, reasons why this is not happening. Um, the, Farmers, introgression, the introgression, the introgression. Yes, okay. why transgenes tend to to appear. We said some of the sources of this uh, appearance and why they tend to 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 go D- diminish, and, and
2: diminish, or diminish
3: their frequency or disappear. Yes. And yeah. this um, one of the main reasons, and we have seen it, is that the land uh, races that we have in in Mexico are growing in a very tight relation with small farmers that Mm -hmm. cultivate these land races and they play a very important role in selecting what they want from those land races so whenever they uh, for any reason they have um, phenotypic uh, characteristic a phenotypic trait and not just from GMs but from hybrid corn Mm -hmm. that every time they have these different characteristics that they don't like to see in their land races, they don't plant them. They save the land race that they want to have with the characteristics that they like. So this, um, uh, let's say artificial selection because it's done by farmers, is a very strong um, uh, way to get rid of whatever characteristic you are not uh, liking, or even if there's something that you might benefit, but is not in relation with what you expect from your land races, you can select against it. And this is something that makes sense with what you just said at the beginning. The transgenes don't fly by themselves. They, they move along with at least 50% of their, their genetic material, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, this uh, genetic material might not be adapted for the places where land are grown, which are usually in, in, with limited uh, nutrients or in, in slopes and conditions that are not uh, easy for growing hybrid maize. So, some of these characteristics are going to be selected against because just Environmental conditions, and others are going to be selected against because the farmers mm-hmm. will prefer uh, uh, corn, red corn or blue corn that is not what they get when they uh, receive the transgene with the characteristics of the yellow corn where they usually comes from.
2: Yeah. So with every land, uh, with the land races in Mexico of corn, every generation allows them an opportunity to select the, the traits that, that they want, basically is what you're saying.
3: Yeah, in that's right, standards. and that's how they do it. They select in what they prefer. It, it usually is uh, with the mazorca, um, the ear with the green, and mm-hmm. they are looking for particular characteristics in, in color, flavor. And, and properties to, for example, make tortillas, which are different from the ones that may come not just from some uh, transgenes, but from hybrid maize, for example. And I think that the same situation would be happening if some transgenes reach some of the teosintles, not all the teosintles interbreed with maize, but um, the transgenes that. Could reach some teosinte. will come with other characteristics of maize, and many of the domesticated characteristics of maize are against the fitness. Let's say the way of teosinte, because uh-huh. that will, that's how they, it has prevented from having a you know an intermediate um uh, maize or intermediate sint between maize they just don't go along they yeah. tend to be selected against by many reasons
2: so so the inf- even even hybrid seed wouldn't wouldn't necessarily represent a a serious risk to teosinte genetics because um, because the traits that um, it confers that the hybrid corn confers may be, may, may not be at all helpful to the survival and development of Teosinte. Am I, That's right. Okay. Interesting. You know, so, um, you know, certainly, I mean, I, I'm interjecting an opinion here, but, uh, I, I can understand why, um, why a company would want to sell engineered maize in Mexico. I can also understand why the country of Mexico may say, no, (laughs) you know, we want to, we don't want to take any chances on, uh, on our land races. Um, You know, imagine uh, a a trait that is an anti-insect. So BT is, is an example. If that were to appear uh, you know, through hybridization and and pollen flow, to appear in a landrace, a landrace, it might be something a grower would select to, without even intending to, because they just like the appearance of the 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 grain. So, um, yeah, it's a complicated question, isn't it?
3: Well, yes, that that will depend on also in which is the strongest selective pressure in different places yeah. and in some places it's not necessarily pest uh, or are not necessarily the pests that are related with the modification in some places that it might be the case but um, also other characteristics for example drought tolerance at some other um, point of time uh, could be a characteristic that will be selected uh, in favor, um, maybe more than, um, than a VT. Mm-hmm. Certainly, for example, uh, the to, uh, herbicide tolerant in non-races in where they usually don't do, uh, don't use herbicides and they, they have, for example, Milpas, that will not be a characteristic that will easily be selected uh, and, and stay in the population right. so it's very casuistic i have to yeah. say and this uh, other comment that you mentioned that the country being able to say yes or no mm-hmm. and and this is a, a very big issue because I, I I see it from an ecology perspective. We are a very diverse country, and not just um, mega diverse in terms of biological diversity, which we actually are, but also very diverse in terms of different ways to cultivate plants. We have very m- many different um, production systems. We have high input production systems, and we have what we call. Agricultura de traspatio, which is uh, people growing uh, crops in their backyards, mm-hmm. so and and everything in between. So uh, there are groups that say no, and there are groups that say yes. And I think that the legislators at at some point try to balance these different ways of of saying, let's say, from different sectors and different people and we obviously are very sensitive in the case of of maize Uh, but um, we are a big country so there are places where it might be useful for farmers to try and if they think that improve their cultivation not just in terms of using uh, less uh, herbicides or sorry, less insecticides in a way and saving money, but also because they will pollute a little bit less the environment. I think that the biosafety law would allow for for that in some places, but not in others, mm-hmm. you know, considering the responsibility we have being a center of origin. So this is another issue that has been taken into account with decision makers where in the biosafety law there are regions where you are not allowed to even present an application for planting Mm. gene maize because Mm. you have the land races there as you say that doesn't mean that if the land race will will get that transgene will uh, jeopardize its existence but that means that um the until we know more and we know better we don't want land races with transgenes but there are other parts of mexico where farmers are willing to to try and that's why the the companies decide also to to present applications so mm-hmm. so after a risk assessment you can allow for some planting in some places that okay. will help some people in in Make a, a decision in a big diverse country yeah yeah, so
2: I think um, I think you're making the point that that d- such decisions have to be made on a case by case
3: basis that's right,
2: yeah we have that Good. in our
3: in our perspectives it's yeah. not the same Oaxaca than Sinaloa for example, mm-hmm. or tamaulipas
2: mm-hmm.
3: so um, so uh,
2: to me it, maybe the point this most salient point of this uh, what I've learned is that Gene flow may have occurred, on some level, at very low levels, occasionally in maize. But it, but we don't see evidence of introgression. And so, the, the trait that may have been detected, at, you know, in year X, the next year, uh, is very hard to find. And uh, so, there's no evidence of uh, introgression at this point, which is good news. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious. What you've got a lot of. You've thought a lot about this issue. What lessons can we in agricultural production and um just in general agricultural production what lessons can we learn from the experience that that mexico has had with respect to corn and genetic engineering
3: well um i think that from my perspective is that in, in terms of this discussion about GM maize in Mexico, yes or no, I think we are missing like the big picture. We are missing a little bit why are we in, in some places losing land races? And it's not directly to the use of hybrid maize or GM maize, but it's related to other things that are that need to be taken into account for the conservation of these land races, and these are urbanization, for example, or migration farmers are, are leaving the the, the farms mm-hmm. and also we have other big problems with uh, security or farmers uh, our farmers are, are getting old and young uh, young kids not all are wanting to to keep farming land races or sometimes they also want to to change to other crops because of prices so uh, i think that sometimes with this discussion of GMAs we are missing the the big picture on mm-hmm. how can we allow or or uh, motivate a, a bigger um, tool, a bigger, a bigger box of tools. Let's say it that way, for farmers to choose um, whatever it's better for their practices. Obviously, uh, complying with all the biosafety measures that we that we have, and in that way, how can we uh, um, finance or or promote studies or research for? New varieties, uh, not focusing that much in the way we generated varieties, but how we make them safe, we made them available, we made them useful, and we made it in a way that contribute to the to a better environment and to a better choices and and, and better ways to, to grow food, which mm-hmm. is what we need. You know,
2: boy, this is why I love doing this talking biotech podcast because what a what a great insight. So, um, you, you've you've said uh, we, we may be missing the big picture. Why are we losing land races? I mean, I had no idea that you were, you know. And so, what a wonderful, uh, sad question to have to ask, but an important one. Um, and so, for listeners, I'm going to introduce the phrase conservation in situ, which uh, refers to uh, not conservation, uh, just in, uh, or in, um, uh, you know, the cold rooms, uh, of, of, of laboratories of the world, but, um, also, uh, conservation in, out in the field by cultivating these, these, uh, land race varieties. And so as the production of land races declines, indeed we do risk losing germplasm that might be useful. So, um, uh, this is yeah, this is a really important point you've you've brought up, and I was one that I was unaware of, and maybe most listeners were unaware of so yeah, uh, yeah any any final thoughts for our um, our listeners so
3: well, um, just to thank you for the opportunity to share these views, um, I think that we have to keep in mind that there's different perspectives for many different issues. And one that I think, one way to to deal with all of this is is tolerance. So (laughs) I I think that um, we need more uh, collaboration and more dialogue for deciding about where to use which technologies and with, with um, science-based uh, decisions, I think that we can go ahead in, in, in knowing where is uh, going to be beneficial and where is not worth it. So, yeah. and, and dialogue is, I think, a, an important thing. And that's why I, I, I think that what you do with these um, exercises is also very important. So thank you for inviting me to participate. Yeah,
2: yeah. what a wonderful way to wrap it up, So, Thank you very much. So. Uh, with respect, to, I'm just repeating back because it's uh, these are such good points. Uh, with respect to technology, we need more tolerance, collaboration, dialogue. How wonderful! So, uh, hey, uh, thank you so much for sharing your ideas and your knowledge and your perspective and wisdom, soul. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank so, you. Yeah, it's great to have you. So, and thank you, listeners, for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Talking Biotech. Write a review on iTunes and tell a friend you listen, as your support allows us to deliver more about exciting science to more people. I'm Paul Vinccelli, and thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to TalkingBiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's Electronic Lab Notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at Calabra.app. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.